He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. And every week, Andy Hall's bringing them to you on the Laser Airwaves. This week in Andy's Hall Pass. Comedian Taylor Tomlinson joins me via the Laser Hotline, courtesy of Time Out Bar and Arcade. Downtown Ames, the next level of Arcade. Great to have you on the show, Taylor. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Quarter Life Crisis premiered on Netflix on March 3rd. Your first hour-long special, a massive achievement in a career that began when you were only 16. To say you've come a long way from the churches and schools you used to perform is a massive understatement, Taylor. No, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, and the funny thing is about this business, that's very quickly uh, to to get to this point, uh, nine or ten years, so... I've uh, been very fortunate. Congratulations on the special. For those of us that have actually seen you in person, like I did at the Funny Bone here in Des Moines last summer, it's pretty cool to see the work you've put in come to fruition like it has. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason you uh, you go on the road is to, to be able to build up something that will make a, a great special and a great hour. And the whole reason you film a great special and a great hour is to get people to come out to watch you on the road. So... It's all a it's all a never ending process. To be given a Netflix special, and you're the only new comic that got one this season. Give us a rundown of how that opportunity comes to pass, if you would. Well, I submitted uh, an hour, a little over exactly a year ago, and uh, was just submitting the hour that I was doing on the road in clubs uh, in order to to show them that I was more than qualified to do half an hour because I had done the comedy lineup uh, about a year and a half ago um, on Netflix, which was a a showcase-style series of comedians each doing 15-minute, like, mini-specials. So I had done that, and I thought, okay, they're definitely not going to give me an hour, but let's just send them a full hour so that they can see that I can do half an hour, like, for sure. And uh, much to my surprise, uh, they let me do a full hour, which was amazing and like a dream come true and a couple years sooner than I would have thought anyone would let me. Talk about choosing the location of Portland, Oregon to uh, record this special. Was there any particular reason Portland was the spot? Well, Portland is the place I got the tape to submit uh, to Netflix. Uh, It was my first time at uh, the Helium Comedy Club in Portland. And it was such a great club and uh, such great audiences. And we got a, a fantastic uh, local videographer to, to tape it. And um, so maybe there's a little bit of like superstition, like, okay, we got it there. Let's just get it again there. Uh, also, I, I wanted to do it in a really cool comedy city and I wanted to do it at a theater that felt more like a club in the sense of it wasn't like 1500 seats. I wanted a, a a smaller to like mid-sized theater because um, I felt like that was more representative of where I was at in my career and the comedy I was doing and just what I was used to and and I think a lot of times those will like sound even better than a huge uh, echoey cavernous room um, so that was kind of uh, all the, the thinking that went into what eventually became the Aladdin Theater in Portland. Your routine gets really personal, especially when it comes to breaking off an engagement, which you did last year prior to fine-tuning your material and then filming the special. How different was that routine before and then after that particular life event? Oh, I mean, it changed the order of the special a lot, because, I mean, when I got engaged, I got the Netflix special like a few weeks after that. And so 
uh, at the time, I remember going, oh, man, I just got engaged and I have to figure out a way to work that in. So then I spent, you know, a month working that in and then that broke off and then it was kind of back and forth for a bit. And I was like, oh, my gosh, am I, how many times am I going to have to write this in and write it out? And, uh, it, it certainly, you know, yeah, if I were still dating that person, there probably would have been jokes about that dating them in the special and those got taken out and. Yeah, it it definitely rearranged things, and I'm I'm glad it did. I feel like the hour came out a lot better for it. Turning that into something funny and sharing with an audience is a level of therapy. I I wish more people had access to or were more comfortable exploring. The world would be such a different place, don't you think? I agree. I totally agree. Taylor Tomlinson is my guest. Don't miss her hour-long special, Quarter Life Crisis, on Netflix. It's a topic that I think anyone can relate to. Those 20s are really tough, despite what I remember people always telling me, that they're supposed to be nonstop fun, carefree. And the line I always hated, which was something like, these are the best years of your life. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, I just used a Taco Bell napkin as toilet paper. Like, <laughs> I'm very poor. Why, why are these the best years of my life? Uh, I'm just, I get broken up with every three months, like, this is excruciating. It's it's such a painful time, and you're going through uh, so much personal growth in this time because you aren't who you want to be yet um, and aren't who you're going to be yet, and you just have to keep making decisions based on whoever you are at the moment. And you don't know what's ahead. I think that was the worst part for me because I know what I had already been through, high school, middle school, all that. So difficult. And then the 20s are like, what the hell am I doing? Where am I going? And you don't know what's ahead. I mean, inevitably, I think for most people, it gets better. For me, it certainly did. Uh, But yeah, those 20s are just, oh, God. And you're right in the midst of it. (laughs) You're right in the midst. I'm like, I'm 26 now. It's got to be getting better. And I'm sure in a year, I'll be like, wow, I didn't know what I was doing then either. And uh, (laughs) now I'm, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'm I'm even deeper uh, in the hole here. So, yeah, hopefully it gets better. I'm told your 30s are are much better, and I'm told your 40s are just, like, amazing. Well, I just started my 40s, Taylor. And and I can tell you that I still feel like I'm in my 20s at times. But, yeah, there are things that become certainly a a more of a stability, I think, which I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, because I sometimes kind of miss the chaos of my 30s. But uh, (laughs) Oh, I don't know about that. You're probably romanticizing it in hindsight. Well, I think most people do that, though, don't they? I think so, too. The only thing that doesn't get romanticized is middle school. Everybody's pretty much in agreement that those were the worst years of your life. (laughs) As I alluded to, yeah, I think I maybe I, I subconsciously brought up middle school just because of how terrible it was. But uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. As great as the material itself is, I think your presentation is the real genius of your performance, Taylor. There's a choreography happening at all times that really accentuates the stories you share and the jokes you tell. Do you have a theatrical background by chance? Oh, that means a lot. Um, not really. I mean, I did. I did like community theater and. Uh, like growing up when I was young, and then I did uh, I did some drama in high school, um, and I was on like mock trial, which is basically that's just theater. You're just playing a courtroom scene. Uh, there's some improv in. So yeah, I think when I was really young, I wanted to like act and stuff. And then once I found stand up, I was like, oh no, this is so much better than acting, <laughs> and better than politics too, which I would argue is also theater. Oh my gosh, I know. Isn't most all the world's a stage? It's all theater. It is true. How do you self evaluate? Do you watch your routines? Uh, I, I try to listen to them on audio. I'll watch them like 
if I'm getting ready for a TV special, a TV taping or a special or something, because it's good to be aware of your movements so that you're not watching it back going, oh, I didn't know my arms were doing that during <laughs> that bit. Um, you won't be surprised. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think some of some of the greatest comics of all time, it seems the same way. We were like, ooh, these movements are very deliberate. This is, or the lack of movements is very deliberate. And uh, I try to be as deliberate as possible to uh, trick people into thinking that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I, you know what? It's funny. It's not like physical comedy, but I just, I think like your eyes and the way you tell your story with your facial features and your, your movements, it's not like, like I said, it's not Jim Carrey. It's not Robin Williams, that sort of thing. But uh, it's just something I noticed in watching your special, and I've seen it twice now because I thought it was that good. Um, oh wow! Thank you. Yeah, I just I love how you tell a story, not just with your words. That that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Oh, that means a lot. Thank you so much for watching it, and not just watching it once but twice. That's amazing. Absolutely, your story is a fascinating one involving your dad and a stand-up class the two of you took while you were in your teens. Having grown up in what you describe as a religious background, deciding to take the plunge and try to make a career out of this meant no doubt having to open up and be more graphic. I guess is the word in your storytelling. What did your dad think? of that aspect of your growth as a comedian? I mean, I think every parent would rather their their comedian son or daughter was uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I think that's what every parent wants, uh, except for the really cool ones, uh, <laughs> which, you know, I, I haven't met. But, uh, yeah, I, I think no parent wants to watch their kid telling, telling sex jokes, and uh, I, I completely understand that, and I've told them, you know, like, if you guys don't watch, it's totally fine, doesn't hurt my feelings. It's really not your taste, and uh, it wouldn't be even if I wasn't your daughter. So, you know, I, I'm sure they would have preferred I stayed uh, doing church comedy, but, you know, you got to be true to who you are and what you want to say. In addition to the Netflix special, you also uh, recently appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Before I let you go, the difference between a camera rolling on a late-night TV talk show versus cameras rolling in a theater in Portland, Oregon, is, the, is one more difficult than the other for you? Honestly, the, the late night sets are harder for me. I mean, it's much shorter, but I had full control over everything in that special. I mean, I got to pick the location. I got to approve the lighting. I got to, you know, pick my outfit. I got to have my makeup person that I liked. Like, everything, like, everyone there had bought tickets specifically to see me. Like, it was, it couldn't have been a better situation for me. And when you go into a late night set, you don't know who the other guests are going to be. You don't know uh, what the audience is going to be like because a lot of times it's tourists. Uh, you don't know if um, how well your intro is going to go. Like, there's just so much that you don't have control over, and you have so little time to win people over. So I felt like, weirdly enough, doing the hour special was much easier than some of these late night sets. You talk about winning an audience over. It's also for you getting into a rhythm, too. It's hard to do that in just five minutes, I imagine. It's true. Yeah, it really is. It's hard to get people to understand your voice and, and who you are that quickly. So what are you looking forward to most here in 2020? I mean, just being able to continue working the road and doing this new hour. I mean, we have projects in development, of course. We always do. But um, the the real you know, goal that I always have is just that I'll be able to have enough people see me on the road to do stand-up as much as I want. Uh, so that's the most exciting thing is just being able to work on this new hour, which is definitely like darker and edgier and more personal. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, keep growing and keep getting better.
We're excited for you. Taylor Tomlinson is online at ttomcomedy.com. A great follow on social media as well, Taylor Tomlinson Comedy on Facebook and at Taylor Tomlinson on both Instagram and Twitter, where I'm one of a combined 150-plus thousand followers. Oh, thank you. And by the way, I don't know if you're referring to radio people or the record players, but us DJs aren't all bad, you know. Uh, not radio. I keep getting that. All morning, <laughs> people are mad at me. I was like, hey, I'm talking about like DJs in the club, like... You know, we're talking like one in the morning, uh, 20-something uh, garage band uh, dropout, you know? Yeah. Different thing. It's funny. I had to bring it up, and I knew what you were talking about, because I've, yeah. met, I've met plenty of those DJs, and I'll say it for you, Taylor. They are douchebags. Thank you very much. Yeah, see, radio DJs is like, you got a steady gig. That's right. Steady gig, freak tickets to everything, except for a Taylor Tomlinson comedy show. I'm happy to put my money toward that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your time, Taylor. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Too.